So and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. This week's guest is uh, a band from Ayrshire called Cullen. Um, I think I've I'll used one of their tracks as an intro ten episodes ago when I was calling them Cullen and all sorts of shit, but no, Cullen. Um, we had the boys in a couple of weeks ago. Had a cracking conversation, obviously, as a uh, former wannabe rock star myself. It's always cool to sort of sit down and talk to people um, about their influences. We get into what got the guys into music, how the band got together, how they found music, being in the music industry in 2019, how they make money, and how the the, the scene has changed over the years because the guys have been about for a, a wee bit. Um, Cracking conversation, cracking couple of lads and an absolute fucking stonker of a band. Um, they've got an album out uh, on Apple Music, Spotify. Definitely go and have a listen to that. Uh, they've got a gig this Saturday in Edinburgh. Um, and I'm going to try and get along um, on Saturday night to that. So, um, again, thanks to the guys for coming up and sitting in and talking to us and um, getting into it with me and Matt and as I said, cracking conversation with a cracking couple of lags for a cracking band so here we go, Colin. So hello and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. What episode are we? This will be 44. I've got absolutely no idea at this point. Anyway, I think our one year anniversary's been and gone and we've missed it. I think so. But <laughs> me and the missus, we always forget our anniversary and catch it a week later and go, we should have done something. Right, so it's nice to see that's carried on here. Uh, <laughs> you're the problem then. Um, I'm almost always the problem. Anyway, this week's guest are, and how do you say, is it Kalan? Cullen. 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 Right, okay. Yep. So I've been saying Cullen. So I played a couple of the tracks off the record on a couple of intros to the podcast. Nice one. So, hi, welcome. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us. It's been a long overdue. Oh, yeah, aye. It's been a couple of months that we've had a couple of dates and then had to get it cancelled. So, whereabouts are you? Is it for Irvine? Close from Irvine in Ayrshire, right? Yep. All five is Irvine, yep. All five of us. So, you are off for the same area. That's good. How did you get together then? Was it like a. Manic Street Preachers he's met at school, was it met at uni or kind of like uh, on different bands and the thing there's is, only like four different ways that a band gets together and there's yeah, like that's true. Um to be honest with you, like we are, we're all friends, I suppose that's the kind of cheesy uh, explanation, but school pretty much. I mean obviously me and Sean we're brothers, so we were playing in kind of daft bands, cover bands and all the rest right. of when we were younger. Playing offspring covers and just misfits <laughs> covers and things like that and just progressed into Knowing different people through school, um, but we all went to Greenwood Academy in, in Dreadcom. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from Greg, the guitarist, who we knew through friends and skating and stuff like that. So right. that's how we got together. So this lineup's been together for eleven years, which is quite kind of rare right. nowadays mm-hmm. for, for bands. Maybe, maybe the the reason for that, you know, I think when bands headhunt, you know, quote unquote better members, or you know, they think they would have a better guitarist or a better songwriter when they headhunt these people. It never tends to last, I don't think, because it's based on that you have a, a value as a musician, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're all pals, and we wouldn't really want to play with anybody else, you know. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing, isn't it? When you're going, you know, through the, the sort of club circuits on the way up and stuff like that, that there has to be 
like that connection because you can't just climb in the back of a van with a stranger or strangers, you know, Definitely. whatever twenty weekends a, a year and yep. and no end up at each other's throats. Although you still might end up at each other's throats. Way, if my experience in the back of transit vans with bands is that they go back. Do you have a usual sort of sibling relationship in the band? Do you like fight a lot? Are you the ones that really no? No, yeah. people no. always say that. Does but me and Peter going great. We need some Gallagher action when we go here. What we want you to do is, he's a fucking cunt. We hate each other. I fabricate some sort of like arguments. So uh, get some beef on the go. It's quite boring, to, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> From the no, start no, we're just kind of like each other. <laughs> <laughs> There's no heroin or that. No, yet anyway. Aye. But um, no, we've, we've always get, I've always got on well. And I suppose you're right. You're saying like when you do seek out, like we need a guitarist, and then you, you don't really know the guy or girl, whatever you get um, in the band. And then it's just a case of feeling the band out, how they're getting on. It might just, it probably wouldn't work for us. It works for other bands, obviously, but mm-hmm. not for us. I think we're, we've been together for 11 years because we're pals, effectively. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think it would work anywhere. And Sean's right, probably would be weird playing with other Aye. And the, the thing is, I mean, we are, I don't think we're too demanding of like the members and time. We don't gig loads. So right. when, when things are spaced out, like we do things quite spaced out. Mm-hmm. Makes it more of an event. Whereas I've got pals and bands, and we've done it in the past where you play in air, mm-hmm. and then you play in air two weeks later, mm-hmm. yeah, and then you play in Glasgow, mm-hmm. and then you play in Kilmarnock, and it's like so just in the west of Scotland. So well, I I mean the people that could come and see that one night in air can come and see the next two weeks later in air, and the next the week after in Glasgow, and the week after in Kilmarnock. So they only got to one. It means yeah. that your gigs are diluted, and no one's sort of kind of I think no one's excited about it. Similar, but playing an inner ring Glasgow didn't he when he was in he was mm-hmm. saying that he can definitely play it too much for sure mm-hmm. so that when we try and space it out it's a uh, it's probably an event it's like oh we're going to see Cullen tonight mm-hmm. and it's like Aye. people get excited it, about it kind of depends on I mean yous are clearly established I mean the album's great and mm-hmm. yous can all play like when yous are young and I think back to being in bands like I've done I've been in bands I remember one time we did a tour uh, and it was like 12 dates in Glasgow early course of like early course of like a month do you know what I mean you're just like but it was like Fury Murray's tuts, sleazies, and you're like, right, you're on tour, but it's you're not, you're not doing a tour. But it, it's, I think it's some at the start, it's really important to play as much as you Just can. Play. I, mean, yeah, I think that the the main mistake that we made was try to get too many people to come along to every gig, of course. Yeah. And then you get your mates that are going to come along to every gig, Aye. but then a year in, they're like, I'm fucking sick of seeing your band, mate. And you're not really <laughs> like you're saying, it isn't an event. But then as I've got older and I've been in other bands, we've done stuff where it's been like once every six months, yeah. so that it feels. Mel, like they're coming to see you, know, people are actually excited. Uh, you don't yeah, need uh, to harass people if fucking uh, come to your gigs. There's always, always a, a wee element of that, but the less of that you can do, the better, you know. Like after a certain amount of years, if you're still having to really dig yeah. people out to try and come along, it's, it is tough. Mm-hmm. And as I say, you do need to do that to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but uh, it's good to see when you know, people are starting to come with their own accord, you know. Aye, that's it, man. Yeah. So, the, I mean, I didn't hear very much of the offspring. And the, no. I was thinking that as well when you said that. I was like, I haven't listened to a wee tiny bit of the album here and there the last couple of days. Like, I am no, I'm not hearing a lot of offspring yeah. undertones. Yeah. So, was that, like, was that like the, I think, I mean, the start of uh, punk, was it? Ev- everybody has something uh, to start with. I think everyone that like, gets into music for, for whatever genre you're into, you've always got that, like, you listen to whatever's in the charts when you're younger yeah. and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's like a, a eureka moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Americana out of the Baris. We bought Americana at the bar. We bought 
first we bought, I mean, it was Pretty Fly for a White Guy was a single. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we, I, I remember buying that at the bars on, on tape. All right. The single tape and was it a hooky copy? Was it one? Aye, of the aye, aye. Oh, aye, aye. It, it, it was a faded one. And right. on the, the, the B side of that was uh, Staring at the Sun, which mm-hmm. is pretty much opposite of Pretty Fly for a White Guys kind of punk song. Um and we're like, well, what is this? Aye. Do you know what I mean? Like you're so used to hearing. I mean, I suppose the weirdest thing we listened to up until that point would be Blur. Aye. aye. Um which, you know, Blur are quite kinda adventurous in their in their music as well, but still in the charts. Um, so when we heard them, well, when we heard Pretty Fly for a Week Guy and then Staring at the Sun on the B side, it was just like, what is, what is this music? Mm-hmm. And then we went and bought Americana, and that was kind of like, that's your, that was, for me and Sean at least, that's our route into alternative music. Mm-hmm. And then you just buy back the way, the Offspring's back catalogue, yes. and the further back you get, it's, it's heavier and faster and yeah, more punk. And definitely. The first, I, the first I can remember going and buying, is it Insomniac? Is that, is that's that Green Day? Day? That's Green Day. Day. What yep. was the one? The the, the X Nine Hombre, that one. Yeah, I right. remember going and buying that for Avalanche, and being like, "What the fuck is that?" It's <laughs> like really Hispanic, and it was uh, the same as me. Like I, I was pretty fly for a white guy, and was like, "That's kind of cool," because yeah. like I don't know if it's because we're white. I don't uh, know what yeah, that yeah, is, yeah, but yeah. I just thought it was quite cool. I think I was about fifteen when that came out, and then Americana was kind of was a wee bit like, mm, "I quite like it," and then yeah. I went and bought that, and was like. What the fuck, like know, Jesus? I, and then went and seen them play live and was just fucking blown away. I was at like so the first tight, gig like, that we went to, like a big sort of, like, aye, you aye. know, without your parents or whatever. We saw um, the offspring. It was the Amer- it wasn't in America too, was it? it was the Conspiracy of One, tour. right? At the SECC, SECC mm-hmm. they had the big house. Yeah, that's and then right. After every the song, they had another fucking guitar player come right. and play power chords. Right. Like, how many <laughs> guitar players <laughs> did you need? That was that was like, I mean, we were seating then, obviously, because I don't know, fourteen or whatever, right. Uh, AFI supported them and they were uh, superb that night as I know, well man. I know it was such a f- an amazing first gig and uh, who was the kind of ska band is it Snuff oh, I can't even mind now I, I, I don't think I UK, caught them I think UK. I came in and just watched talk AFI. about it but like, I mean like when you get so obsessed with that because that was like well, this I mean for probably a year that's all we'd listen to is the offspring and <clears> before <throat> we get into other sort of kind of areas of alternative rock and then going to see that was that was definitely the kind of start of one, I one to play music. I, I mean, they're a fun. They're a figure of fun in a lot of ways. But you go back and listen to the first couple albums, and they're they're, they're absolutely serious. Aye, the guy's voice, the guitar playing, it's serious. Aye. I think that that was something I was going to say was that Pretty Fly for the White Guy was like bait. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah they've always got like, two bait Kids were like, oh, that's great. Oh, uh, like, um, it was the one that was on Conspiracy of One, like uh, um, original prankster, original prankster. Red, red, red man, red man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's all he said was original prankster. <laughs> they had, they had this sort of formula of having the pop hit, uh, and then but yeah. the rest of the album was kind of like almost absolutely true to the offspring. And then what happened to us is we were like, we, were like, one, like uh, we listened to Pretty Fly for a Week or whatever. Who was the other? Um, there's another sort of There's, copy. Hi, um, why don't you get a job? Why, why, why don't you get a job? Was, yeah. the, mm-hmm. was the other big one off that? And I'm sure what you're saying is like the people probably buy that album and half of them going, "What is this? Like I bought this album for these tapes or something." Yeah, I went to see them at the bars, and yeah. it was like half punks, yeah. half Neds, yeah. and then <laughs> just <laughs> didn't <laughs> well at all. See, no. they, they, I can't even remember who the support band was, but it was a it was a punk band. And when they first started, the pit started, and you just seen this just mass exodus of people just like, what uh, the fuck is uh, that? Like, or the actual, the actual Ned's been like 
also my fights broke out, you know, <laughs> I try to get in the middle of it, but I, um, there, there was this, a weird sort of cross-section of people that have heard them on the radio and yeah, people definitely. that have been into them for coming in with like one dreadlock, yeah. do you know what I mean? You do have that, I think that, that kind of cross-following, do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. when you go further back in their catalogue, I mean, the first album's really political. Aye, Robert Tehran and Killed Iran the President. Killed mm-hmm. the President. That's right. Punk's I mean, we were obviously young guys at that stage, but I mean, then they went on to do um, Smash. I think Smash is the biggest independent selling record of all time. Right. The guy that runs Epitaph Records is the guitarist in Bad Religion, punk band Bad oh, Religion. Right, yeah, bad right. And he, he started, I think, that in. I think he signed the Offspring and all the rest of mm-hmm. it and released that, if I'm, if I'm correct in saying that. And, Smash just got so popular, um, and he was like, right, okay, we'll order more more albums, and mm-hmm. he's, he started like his garage was full, and his house was full of Smash, and he could he couldn't get it out in time. All right, like that was part of the problem. I think the Offspring then signed to Columbia or something like that, like a big label. But I think it's I think it's the biggest uh, nice selling, uh, right. independent right. record all time. So who was next after? So where did that lead you to? Uh, I mean, you just sort of get into alternative stuff through. The that, good thing that used to be around then was. Uh, like compilation CDs, compilation <laughs> CDs, <laughs> uh, and their their label was Nitro at the time, and there was Dexter just all the all the all the bands signed to Nitro. I remember the Nitro compilations, ah, like the vandals the, and stuff like yeah, that. They got them on the front with the on the skateboard. Ah, yeah, yeah. It was in the front of the Nitro, Aye. and the Crank compilations. Some of the Crank Aye. compilations Aye. are Aye. fucking excellent. Aye. Aye. Because you never know, and again would throw you one, wouldn't they? I think everybody's got that sort of jumping off point, like. For me, back in the days, like it was, I was going to be no Gallagher for at least like fourteen years <laughs> in my life, mm. and then obviously that led to Paul Weller, which led to yeah, you go backwards, you know, right? soul music and then blues and then you know, so and the, they kind of start off in one place, and I think everybody's sort of musical, you know, influences and they'll have a similar kind of thing where oh, yeah. one thing kind of leads to another. Yeah. Um, the Offspring, unfortunately, were not in my. <laughs> <laughs> I think I seen them once at Gig in the Green, and. Uh, I, I was at that gig. Uh, I think I was gig in the green well. was no effects, Slipknot. Um, played the Prodigy. Yeah. I got that absolutely annihilated at Slipknot at that gig. That was some <laughs> gig. Man. It was tons of fights there. Oh I mean, you look at that lineup. It's like the Prodigy, Slipknot, no effects. Flogging Molly played that as That's well. That's right. That was like one Stone day. Stuff Queens and Stone Age. One <clears> day. That's an Aye. unbelievable lineup. It was a good day, to be it fair, was. apart from me getting absolutely weathered and Slipknot. The guy I was at uni, he was like, well, watch this band, and I was like, who? And he's like, Slipknot, and I was no, hold on, that rings a bell, I've heard of them, no chance. I went, come on. It's weird seeing Slipknot during and the day. Aye. It was I think it was a, a really nice day. Yep. Like Open people equal shit, and I was like, oh, aye. No. And then this guy, like, and I'm not a wee guy, this guy twice my size, lamped me clean out in Mars. And I was just like, right, okay then. And got up and tried to, like, dish it back out, and he just laughed at me and walked away. And I was like, right, okay. But it was a good gig. Jane's Addiction <laughs> uh, yeah. as well, seeing them that was a good right, one, you know what I mean? A bit, of a, a bit of a rock education or a heavier rock education for a bit of an indicator. I've never seen day. so many legal high uh, <laughs> stalls. <laughs> Remember that? Uh, legal highs? Like, I used to go down to Donington and stuff for Ozfest, and it was always the legal, legal highs because they couldn't get away with stuff. I didn't know what to make of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, see, when you're kind of younger, like, uh, should I? Is that all right? Like, a lot of poppers. Tons of poppers. That's right. Before MD actually realised what they were for. Yeah. I took I took a hellbow ecstasy at Ozfest, and it was basically just a caffeine tablet. The fuck happened there? I remember we were watching Kasabian one time. We talked about the poppers move past a joint down the line and. 
back up the line came up, but my pop was not as pure hold on a minute. <laughs> Some random dude had just attached himself to the end of a line, smoked the end of the joint and passed his poppers back up to say cheers. And he was just like, okay, aye, aye. so legal highs definitely were one of the ones we were like, ended. <laughs> so where was the where was the first band? Has it always been Cullen or yeah, is, yeah. what's the what's the, the name of the first band? My Wait. first band was called Planet Caravan because we were all like Sabbath and Zeppelin and oh, stuff right, like that. Right. And we did a gig at the like the lighthouse in Buchanan Street and they were like, You need a name? And we're like, Oh fuck and one of the guys was like, We should call the band Planet Caravan. And I was like, Cool Considerably cooler than our first name, which was Wake the Neighbours. Wake the Neighbours. <laughs> that's that I mean, that's original, at least it's not the name of another fucking band song. So how did you get started? What made you like want to play and like, think, be in a band? Uh, the first thing I ever remember wanting to try and learn the guitar was watching um because even what even getting into the offspring and kind of alternative music and stuff, I just enjoy the music. Didn't really want to play, um, but the first thing I remember being in Lockland, where my dad had a guitar, like a Spanish guitar, and he kind of fairly reasonably good on it, not amazing, but he could kind of get a tune out of it. Mm-hmm, kind of yeah. Um, and I remember being really into Nirvana Unplugged, and yes. especially the the one wee bit I wanted to learn was the David Bowie cover yeah. uh, the man who I just wanted to play that and it's obviously one I remember dad teaching us that and then through him kind of listening to it he could try and kind of get a few of the chords that was the first time I ever really remember wanting to play the guitar was watching it's one of my favourite covers of that song Yeah, especially the Kurt Cobain his voice is just so good with it man so that was that's the first time I ever wanted to play guitar was to kind of just play that wee wee bit of melody and then obviously you get into that and you go holy shit I can buy how to play Smash by the Offspring. I remember going to RGM in Kilmarnock and there was like the Offspring guitar books. Oh yeah, and Green, books. Green Day guitar books. Learn to yeah. play this album. You're like, I can't really believe that. And it's, it's all power chords when you learn, mm. so that's perfect. You mm-hmm. know, you're not playing anything that is way above your station. It's like, so were you playing first then? I think no, we both started playing. So it was the same time. Same yeah. time, to be honest. And then obviously Sean getting the drums and I just stayed struggling on the guitar for the rest of my days. But <laughs> made you shift onto the drums because I think there's a there's always some sort of like psychotic element to somebody that spends their time smashing. Ke- Cameron like actually was the drum filler in Brimful of Asher. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and, like, almost comical drum yeah, fill. Yeah, I totally. But I, for some reason, that you just think I could probably do that. And, and then you see like visually, like drummers, like. Once you get into in more bands, it's just visually amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. I just always... You know, Something strange happens where the singer wants to be the drummer and the drummer wants to be the lead guitar player in nearly <laughs> every band I've ever met. Where they, they, right. As soon as they stop playing, the drummer jumps out and grabs a guitar right. and somebody sits and kids on that they can play drums and you're just like... Well, it's usually me. Uh, Any <laughs> I've been yeah. in studios with them and there's a, like, an empty drum stool, I'm like pure having some of that. I uh, just want to just smile like I'm animal. fucking terrible. Like, I kind of hold a tune. That's why I play in the air tonight with Phil Collins. But I that's I just just wee things like that when you're when you're really wee they, they sort of stick in your, your uh-huh. memory and then it goes on and on and on. Did you but, ever do the tennis racket? That was my start. That's what I started. I literally start. I think I started with a golf club. Um, and it was you're saying Nirvana. I didn't get into Nirvana until I was about fourteen or fifteen. But I think it was. I'd have been about eight, so it would have been what, 91, 92, 
fuck, I don't even know who it was. But there was a song that used to play on the radio and I, I used to storm my golf club in aye. front of my mirror. You're like, yes, man, this is what I want to do. Something and then a little bit, you know. Got a just, guitar, like, aye. can gotta get me a guitar, buy me a guitar, and I got a, what, a nylon strung fucking guitar for a charity show. And then it just fucking went for there. By the time I was 18, I was like, pure, I'm gonna be a rock star. This aye. is it, man. This is but, me. By the time you actually pick up a guitar, it just seems like. How the fuck does this thing work? It's just a total enigma. Like, I mind you like you get like a wee cheap kind of electric guitar, and you're obviously squaring a strap. Affinity strap. That was my first electric guitar as well. And you're just how how do you get that sound out it? And it's uh, like I I don't know. Maybe it's a pure old man thing to say, but I don't know. And I've got a, a pal that teaches guitar, and he's just saying like the Wayne's that they, they don't have any attention span for sticking something out. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, because it, it requires a lot of commitment to... to the world they live in, there's a bit instant gratification. I totally, I, that's exactly what you're saying. I think uh, it, there's never been an easier time. Like, I've even I've fell out of this. Like, back when when I was, like, 15, I'm sure it'll be the same for you guys. I mean, there was a lot of time where you would either get the tab book. Uh-huh. That would be a luxury. Uh-huh. The, the sort of norm for me would be taping stuff on the radio and sitting and figuring it out cord for cord. So you would be like, what cord is that, man? And you would just be like, oh, it's here. And sometimes you'd end up playing it like really complicated. And then you would watch them play it in the telly and go, oh shit, it's so easy. And they're like, look how he's doing that. But that was how I started to learn how to play guitar was I I learned all the open chords and then I would sit and try and go cord for cord, like with, with recordings. Then comes Ultimate Guitar. And then you've got the tab on the internet, and that's aye, one step. Aye. But even now, one step further, you can sit and watch the guy doing it, and he'll tell you the technique. But what I find is, is that I can learn to play any song, and then I'll forget it. See if somebody tries to tell me a week later, aye. I can still play the first ten songs that I learned aye, aye. <laughs> when I was fifteen. <laughs> See if you've got. Well, I, I sat down and learned um, a Radiohead song last week, and. I will not be able to play it. Aye. I won't be able to play it because I've just no managed to retain it because I've just sat, copied a guy on a screen, sat and played it for an hour and then went, right, cool. Aye. Whereas back Did in the day, what I'd have done, I would have ground it out and it yeah, took yeah. me days and weeks to learn this song and the chord changes. And, yeah. uh, it just ingrains itself. So I yeah. think that that's something that, it's easier, it's the easiest time ever to pick up a musical instrument, but it's the hardest because psychologically you can't fucking Aye. retain Aye. the information. Definitely. Aye. That was definitely my issue. I mean, I... Growing up rune musicians, like I understand the chat, the techniques, and you know, when somebody sits and goes, This is whatever, I'll go right, cool. See, actually, physically making my body day any of it is just pointless. I'm, I just don't have it in me. But, like, <clears throat> in terms of where he's are now, like, what you know, gig wise, or he's out and about regular, he's well. Well, I mean, that's what I was kind of saying earlier. Like, festival it's, season. It's, it is uh, sort of spaced out, definitely spaced out. And that's maybe like, became, I mean, the last few years, as you grow up, you get busier and busier. Mm-hmm. And you don't get busier and busier, if you know what I mean. Like, sometimes there's excuses to be made and you're a wee bit lazy sometimes about mm-hmm. things. But um, the gigs that we do are pretty much quite spaced out over the year now. Like, sometimes, I think last year we only played four or five times. And it was kind of like a kind of conscious choice because we we're trying to get the album ready. Mm-hmm. So we're doing a lot of overdubs and you're like, so it's more sort of like, we have to get this ready rather yeah. than gig. What's the point in gigging if we don't have this? Yeah. You know, because it had kind of sat for a few years and almost been ready and almost mm-hmm. been ready. So we're like, get, let's get this kind of done. Um, so we don't gig. Right. Possibly as reason, I suppose, like what we've been doing, or rather I should say PJ's been doing over the last couple of years, is 
completely putting on our own gigs instead of going through yeah. promoters. Mm-hmm. Um, and you probably speak more to that. But there's, there's, a, there's a lot more work in it, obviously. But, uh, you know, the rewards are a lot better as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I mean, like, if you've been in bands, you kind of know. I mean, the whole pay-to-play thing when you're younger. I mean, I remember, I remember going, I can't even remember the guy's name, he was the Notorious, but he ran the cat house or he ran a promotions company. Trusty Dave. Kelf. Possibly. I don't know if that was him. I don't, basically, I mean, I remember. Oh, was it Showcase Scotland? Was it, uh, I, this guy used to make you pay money to go on his bills? Yeah, so basically, uh, whoever it was, I can't remember the guy. Oh, but you can, you can make money if uh, you're you selling up. You can, that, that was, that was, was like, like, you, you, you pay me £50 up front, I'll yeah. give you 50 tickets. That's right. He's but f- you'll make your money after the tickets, but you're like, no, but what if I don't sell? <laughs> exactly. Still, still have to pay. I, I, I remember. I still need to pay your 50 quid, which you, that was years ago, so I'm, I'm talking like 2004, 2005 I'd be dealing with this guy so yeah. now he'd probably be charging 100, 150 quid to get if he was still going it's horrible man I'm recruiting you now you go recruit yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff like I'll have mean, scouts like, for Sony there and yeah, I remember sure. the guy I won't name his name because he's still active on the music scene he was the, the A&R guy in air quotes mm. for, for Glasgow for Sony and I went into fucking Thursday and Asda and he was stoning in the bakery but in Asda I'm just like you're not fucking A&R guy mate you're just a clown that's coming to gigs and getting three pints half of young guys, do you know what I mean? Claiming that you're going to be able to get them a record deal I, one day. I, but. Rem- I remember whatever gig it was with the Cat House or Ivory Blacks or something, we were on holiday in Cornwall and John, um, who used to play bass in Wake the Neighbours or WTN, phoned me and it was like the guy was kind of hassling him um, about the gig that we had to cancel. I think mm-hmm. we had to cancel for some reason. He still, he still owe me, he still owe me the tickets. And you're like, well, we're giving you plenty of notes. Like, oh no, and he was adamant. And we, I mean, when you're younger, like, you're desperate for gigs. And mm, see, yeah. see, being from Irvine and Ayrshire, like, see a Glasgow gig, it was a big thing. Mm-hmm. And the Cat House, like, it's a big thing because it's a venue, it's established and stuff. So you're really excited about it. Yeah. And that whole sort of thing just sucked the joy out of everything. Yeah. You know, it was just such a kind of. drawn to it, like. And you don't know what to do when you're like 14, ah, 15. You're like, if you tell your I've mates, signed a contract. The, here. the thing about it is, is that you've told, if you're telling your mates, I'm playing in the Cat House, like, we used to play Touch. All the time, it was like every month we would be like at one, one giggle or another in touch. Mm-hmm. We used to get double the amount of people that would come to the touch gigs, and you would say to them, right, when we made a conscious decision to take a step down and go to Sleazy's because it's like they're fucking taking like three fifty every five quid ticket that we're selling here. Mm-hmm. Go to Sleazy's and Mig would give you a better deal, so we'll go there. You'd get half the people coming, and you'd be like, how the fuck is this? And it's just because of the prestige of the, the venue. So mm-hmm. if you say to your mate, I'm playing in the cat house, they're like, whoa, fuck, oh, why come to that? Can't yeah, wait yeah. to come to that. But then you've got the guy that's booking the gig that's like, you need to pay me to be able to tell your mates yeah. to play in the cat house. And I think there was a point, as, and we were, I, was, I was really active in the music scene at one point where it was literally, that's what you had to do. If mm-hmm. you didn't pay money to do these gigs, you were only getting on the bill. Mm-hmm. And basically, fuck you. And like you're saying, if yeah. something bad happens where you need to cancel a gig, they basically just went, well, you need to yeah. fucking play. Or else threatening you with like, You'll never get another gig in the cat <laughs> yeah, house ever yeah. again. As an adult now, and you look back, <laughs> you're like, it's counterproductive because those. I've been going to club gigs in and around Glasgow since I was like 15. Yeah. Uh, I dug him out for naming my age last week, so I'm not going to tell you <laughs> where we are now. Um, but like, I love club gigs. Like, I love the wee dingy, smelly, dark oh, rooms. Thir- where, 13th Note's the best. Oh, 13th Note, Cafe yeah. Man's fucking, I love yeah. it, man. I love um, But like, and I think it comes into that, like, what I'm trying to kind of get at is the the notion like you're talking about when people pick up the guitar, the patience and the 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 kind of, you know, longevity that you need to sometimes dig your heels in and actually just keep getting through it. Yeah. Like, that's something that should be encouraging people because 
I don't, I see a lot of people, you know, bashing guitar chords out on Instagram, expecting to get record deals off of YouTube and all the rest of it, but like, I don't know that we're getting guys like yourselves who are still actually out in the clubs, actually bringing people in the door and like, honing your craft the same kind of attention that we used to give. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I remember Absolutely. watching, you going into Glasgow and you could walk into any of uh, 10 different venues and there'd absolutely be a, a reasonably good band mm-hmm. on and like yeah. I don't know that that's still necessarily the case from the tune anymore I think if I was walking in and seeing a band like yours in a club gig I'd be fucking mind blown because these are a seriously good quality band and I don't know that I, I'm seeing an awful lot of that anymore people look, are they taking the fast route are they looking to manipulate social media to get themselves forward or are there still people, good people that they're actually like grinding it out in the toilet to them? I mean the thing is that with younger <clears> bands <throat> is you have to rely on promoters, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? There's there's no two ways about it, when you start a band like you're not going to, especially when you're younger I mean if you're 15, 16 you wouldn't hire a venue, No, there's no way that I thought would even enter your head, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hire a venue here, I'm going to make a wee bit of money and it'll be a really good gig you rely on promoters mm-hmm. And you can't just start hitting up the big promoters in, in Scotland and Glasgow and expecting to get a really good support slot and stuff. You need to play the smaller shows mm-hmm. and more regularly. So you, you have to play Glasgow especially quite frequently mm-hmm. in order to build up that sort of credit to get a better support and, and all the rest of it. So these guys back in the day were notorious for that sort of pay-to-play sort of kind no. of um, model, which was just, I mean, like I said, we signed a contract. I'd love to see what I signed when I was... 1450. Is there really a need to take 50 quid off you on the door when you're going it's to the walk the 13th in? note thing, wasn't it? They used to say if you made 100 quid at the bar, you, you then you, you keep the full door. You, you don't, you don't, don't pay, pay anything. Yeah. So no. literally, like, 100 quid. So, I mean, that's nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? You would be, like, drinking the bar dry some nights in the 13th note nah. cafe. You'd run out of Jack Daniels and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was... You're saying people remember the 13th note and they're like... That was a great gig. I don't know how much of that was today with the fucking PV shitty PA system because the drum kit that was <laughs> oh, falling apart or just the fact that you enjoyed it more because it was a relaxed gig yeah. you didn't stress, your, stress out your nut thinking how many tickets have I sold yeah, how many people are going to turn up here it was literally like we need to get 100 quid at the bar and then I'm going to get and then like well let's say 40 people through the door at 3 quid mm-hmm. and then you keep all that money you're like, oh, aye, aye. still looks busy 40 people still looks busy some, aye, of, some of our most enjoyable gigs have been in, in small venues aye. and it's one of the things as well see and I mean in the last sort of five years, we've started to put our gigs on ourselves, and you, you hire the venue and you yeah. do your own artwork and you pick your own bands and you have total control of it, which is nice mm-hmm. because part of the problem is, especially with a band like us, is that we don't really fit into like a genre, you know, specifically well. Yeah. So the the lineups we've been involved with over the years have just been sometimes really, really I mean, we supported uh, UK subs. UK subs, <laughs> right? Quite a kind of. I mean, a legendary. Yeah, band, you know, yeah. and it was you know disastrous. Yeah, oh, really? disastrous. Well, well, maybe no disaster. I well, I, I think it was pretty scary looks for the audience. You know, I say, right. having listened to what we've listened to, I can see you working in a small venue and being that mind-blowingly good gig. But I can also see it scaling up. You know what I mean? Like I can see he's at you know yeah. I can imagine he's at bigger stages, bigger yeah, venues, I mean, we've, and we've still been... being. But then I think it probably has. You you've got to have some run about you that Absolutely. tells a similar story. You know what I mean? Like I think up against a 
balls out punk band that might be quite jarring. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we've supported the thing as with that sort of kind of uh, sound we have. We've supported every day mm-hmm. in Glasgow. You know what I mean? Uh, played touch loads of times and yeah. kind of been around the place and supported country rock bands and prog rock bands and punk bands and like how was that Japanese like band called Fact we supported like a kind of technical <laughs> yeah. pop metal band it was really really so we've, we've like done sort of aye because pop metal <laughs> yeah. I was, I was I quite interesting by the way my brain just kind of compute that at all <laughs> <laughs> it's just had like a but like because because you don't have like a weird pop rock a weird folk rock mm-hmm. or weird, you know whatever you, you play this sort of so I think but, when you've got like a, a specific genre you've got a subculture attached to it and then in a lot of ways you're off to the races because you have easier. those people already there want to hear that kind of yeah. stuff yeah that was something that i really enjoyed about it and it was something that i was going to bring up is that it is a really eclectic album i mean it's got a sound like mm-hmm. it's got this sort of overarching sound that it's definitely if, if anybody was to listen to it a few times and then hear another track you'd believe that that's definitely that band but there is an eclectic thing is that something so like I've, I was in a band for 10 years that was like that and we had the same problem where people would say, we'd even had people record labels say, you don't have a style and that's a problem. Right. You just need to get a style yeah. <laughs> otherwise. Like, and I used to be like, well, fuck that. Like, I like listening to different types of music and we would just write stuff, no really considering style mm-hmm. and we would just write what, the person, yeah, the individual right. come up with and we mm-hmm. would work on that and whatever came out the other side would be like, well, that's us and mm-hmm. either like it or lump it. But is that something that you've consci- consciously done or do you just do it like, you just work on it? You just work I, I on think, tracks? I think everything's just unconscious, you know. I've never, never personally, I don't think PG has either, sat down and think, thought to ourselves, it needs to be this way or it needs to be that way. And um, I think we, like listening to a lot of people that I admire and stuff like that talk about flow. I don't know, you listen to the Blind Boy podcast. Mm-hmm. He talks about that where, flow it, you know, if you're, if you're really hitting it, it's almost as if you've got nothing to do with it. You know, if you're, if you're really hitting that kind of sweet spot, it's as if it's just been given to you, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like whatever you're writing or whatever, it just seems to naturally appear in front of you. Whereas if you were to sit down and say, well, this needs to be in this key, it needs to be this speed. You know, it needs to be have elements of this and that in it. Then it would be a wee bit more forced. And I'm sure I can well, I admire people that are able to do that mm. because they have that level of craftsmanship that they know so much that they can do that. Mm-hmm. But um, I think when you're trying to come up with something unique, the, the flow state is the, the absolute pinnacle of what you mm-hmm. can do for. And then it's not really up to you what you come up with. Then. That's it. Right? I think that that's aye, that's bang on. I think it. It can be helpful mm-hmm. to have somebody that's got that type of musical knowledge where they go, well, you're you're an F, <laughs> and it, you shift it to here. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes where you're like, I can hear that chord, but I just don't know where it is. And if you've got somebody that's like, it'll be that, because mm-hmm. that that's the natural progression mm-hmm. for that chord. Yeah. But you're right, I think that when you start sitting down and going, right, um, this is something that I've, I've actually had somebody try and do that's been in a band with me before. They went, right, let's just pick an album uh-huh. and that starts with a fast track then it's a ballad and Shit. let's just use that as a blueprint a we'll just write that time yeah. and it's like oh i don't know man like i don't know <laughs> if i really want to start thinking about the song uh, before i've wrote anything so we've yeah. not even put a note down and you're yeah. going let's start off with this and start and, and it's like, i don't think that works i think i've i've always loved it more and enjoyed it more when it's been that sort of let's just 
see what happens mm. and just write what's naturally coming at you mm. as an artist, even though. Something and I take it you write right in the group, or is there somebody that takes the lead on that? Or well, uh, well, well, right to a certain extent. I think me and PJ write the bones of the songs, and you know it becomes something totally different once you start, you know, mm. knocking it around. Oh, um, I <clears> there's <throat> a huge contribution for everybody. Uh, Greg, the guitarist, uh, who's far more literate and all this kind of stuff, all the technical stuff. Right. And any of us, he's, he's his own kind of set up and he's just, uh, musically speaking as well, Ross, you know, the keyboard player, he's probably far more proficient than any of us when it comes to actually yeah. knowing the, the theory of music. And Callum, he's just, he's been in bands for, for years. He's just got, he's got that. He's got he's got a feel. Yeah, he's got enough. Yep. Big noodler. He's <laughs> really good talk well. He's the best. Basically, right, okay. Greg, Greg, who Sean's mentioned, like Greg, Greg mixed the album, right? So like he has that kind of background. He's done sound engineering, I think, and all the rest of it. Um, so he has that kind of technical input, you mm-hmm. know. And he's got a specific ear, so it's very sort of like if something's not right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I'll no notice things because I, I can't read or write music. I've never right. really mm-hmm. been able to, to be honest with you. Um, but Greg has that, like, no, no, that's. Technical stuff. Technical aye. stuff. Aye. It, it just would completely go over my head. I, I have no idea. It just sounds good to me, or it doesn't sound good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the way my brain obviously operates. But I don't know. It's everybody's different. Maybe that's the, the combination of different sort of factors and different personalities like that makes the band sound. Uh, aye, everybody's it, bringing what, their what own thing. Mm-hmm. Bring, everybody brings their own elements for, for sure. But I see uh, uh, pictures of these. Sorry, I'm just going to shoot off on a pure tangent here. Did I see pictures of you playing at Celtic Park? Yeah, did, yeah. Did, did I? Was fucking terrifying years. experience of a life. Aye. Um, Where was this? Because I'm at that. There's a reasonable chance I was probably at the game and didn't even realise that I've already seen you. Uh, it was a Europa League. It was a Europa League game. I can't even remember. We didn't win anyway. Uh, you Celtic fans? Yes. Oh right. Okay. Cool. So so we. So how did that happen then? We were in. Um, we went to Malawi in 2000. Was it 14 or 15? 2014 14 with Celtic the, the Celtic Foundation. All right, cool. So we're over in Malawi with Mary's Meals and Celtic Foundation yep. at the time. So over there for a couple of weeks, just um, just kind of working and doing bits and bobs. And <coughs> we'd come back and uh, I think some of the organisers knew we were in a band and obviously mm. big Celtic fans. And it, the, the, the media last year at Celtic at the time, summer. summer. Oh. She's actually going to be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She was uh, she was working in Celtic TV right. basically. Um, I just kind of came about for that. She said, would you like to play at Celtic Park? And you're just like, yes and no. AI. Uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, I absolutely love it, but like Sean said, it was terrifying. Shouting yourself. It used to be something that did a lot more than, than the day, or it feels I, like the day recently, because I mean, I've seen like the undertones and like yeah, yeah. Andrea Botticelli and all sorts. They used to have all sorts of drop, people out before. Yeah, all sorts of people out before. Now, yeah. my, my squad players doesn't feel like that happens an awful lot. I don't know if it's yeah. the, the disco lights or whatever. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean like, maybe Kiss can play then. It's <laughs> <laughs> always been if, if you've ever been in the stadium when a band plays though, it's that PA system just cannot handle it, man. Nah, it just, just that, that was part of it. It's just like you've got your wee monitors there and that, but the vast majority of the sound that you're hearing is just with the fucking speakers up above you mm-hmm. and it's coming to you like a second late yeah so you're getting like a delay between your monitors and the fucking PA man that must be a <clears throat> but did you do one track you can get through it yeah we played two was it two? yeah we played all Reverie and Salvation 
Aye, two most sort of kind of. And weird subsequently been approached to do any of the Celtic Glass songs that come out every year. You know, no. there's always somebody, <laughs> some local Glasgow chanter yeah. that gets to yeah. you know sing some overly emotional nonsense. The recent one, you know, thing I don't know if he's after that. Right, okay. <laughs> John McLaughlin. Don't, don't slam the door on them yet. You know what I mean? Like the, the boy, he's no John McLaughlin. He's met him before. Yeah. Used to own mixing rooms. He's doing all the Celtic stuff. He's he was in a band in eight. I think he was actually in Blue Nile. He's now having a crack at another music career where he writes these Celtic charity songs and stuff. That's that's how that came about, just Mm. being involved in the Celtic Foundation over in Malawi and then coming back and just because they knew we were in a band, Mm -hmm. they asked, which is really nice. But uh, it was one of those things like, you know, when you get asked that question, you've been to Celtic Park since you were five or whatever, you know, and you're season ticket holders. Yeah. And you're just like, I would love to do that, but in, in another way, I'm. Terrified. Terrified. Like, you know, it's just an experience. It's not, it's not like playing your own gig. No. It's not like being prepared for a set and practicing a lot and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It doesn't really matter how well, how you, well you're practicing. You mentioned that other thing there. No. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't that. <align> <laughs> okay. Um, so I think it's one of those things. It's just, aye, it was just kind of, it was overwhelming, to be honest. Aye, aye. I, I was obviously gutted Celtic lost that night, but I, I was very happy to just sit aye. back into the crowd after. <laughs> But it was a great experience, unbelievable ah, experience. I can't, can imagine Especially when you're out on the ground a European night before everybody's there, and yeah, you're like sitting the side of the building, like a oh sound check kind of thing. We went in a bit earlier, and obviously it's just getting. I mean, and let's be honest, we anything is better than listening to Rod Stewart murder Grace again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <I> <laughs> Big Rod. So, um, I was going to ask a question about something, and it's just completely out of my fucking head. This is a hangover kick now. So is there like? <laughs> I feel like I'm not oh, no, like a nautical thing. I go back to me. So, you must work full time because I think, like, nowadays, like, all working musicians need to have like a full time job. But one of the things that really has really messed with me, like, pre podcast but post music, was just not having like a creative outlet. Do you, do you think that it sort of, I mean, First of all, like Woody's day, like Woody day for Alvin, and does the band sort of give you that sort of purpose? Whereas, like, I, I found I went into like a, a depression that I never even seen coming for anywhere. I just thought the band's done. I'm, all right, I'll move on to something else. But I, I, it really affected me. Like, really did affect me. No, having a creative outlet was I horrible, really... absolutely horrible. But mm. do you think that the band gives you that sort of purpose to go and go to work and do all the bits and pieces? Most and... definitely, it's sort of. We talk about the, the kind of monetary value of music and all the rest of it, but I mean, we gave up on that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I think when you let go of that element, you, you're able to enjoy it that much more. Um, you know, I think when, you, when you're young in bands, you always think it's maybe a possibility. This can be our job, you know, mm-hmm. like naively thinking that. Mm-hmm. But see, when you just think, you know, this is what we love doing and just accept it for that, you can go about your, your daily life, you're much happier. And you'll maybe compartmentalise it in that, in that respect, you know, this is your job, you know, you do that, you put food on the table and all the rest of it, and this is your passion, and mm-hmm. that's that's what it is, I mean, you, you don't need to intertwine yeah. that much, you know. Mm-hmm. It can be hard to find energy, but can't it, like, Definitely, to, yeah. to, to motivate yourself, like, especially when you're low, you can't see that clear, I do this and I get that fair, uh, do you know what I mean, and then I didn't really notice it until it was gone, and then it was maybe like a year later I went, oh fuck, like, uh, this is what... This is why I feel shit, because I'm not doing this thing uh, anymore. I'm not going and spending time with my mates and writing music and doing gigs. And uh, there's, there's so many things that 
tiny wee pieces of the jigsaw being in a band that sort of makes up a lot of your life yeah. and then like I said it's not until it's gone that you're like pure fuck yeah. you know C- certainly wouldn't it would be easier if you could just focus on that mm-hmm. um, I don't know I think if it was your soul I've spoke to people that have said you know when they're, they're in really shite mundane jobs that they, that's when they come up with their best uh, lyrics or ideas but I, I, I certainly don't find it I'm not saying their job's shite or anything but um, like when I'm at work I, I tend not to think about the band all that much yeah. um, I find it hard to you know bring one element into the other um, so I think it would be it certainly would be a lot easier if you just that was your sole focus and mm-hmm. you could do that mm-hmm. but it's you know it's, it's a one in a million chance isn't it that's that, I, mean, I, I, I don't even I'd hate to say this but I don't even know if I'd have even have done it Aye. if I'd have known do you know what I mean Aye. I I'd, 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 I definitely, like, Horns Up was one of these wee dicks that was like, I want to be a fucking, I want to be a star. I don't, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, I wasn't, I wanted to be, I was looking at people like Liam, Gallagher, Kurt Cobain, I was looking at these people and thinking, I want to be that, mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I had no interest in being in, like, a club band, yeah. but no, I'd love to do it, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, And I still play music with, like, mates and stuff like that, but I was thinking that the other day, like, I played in Sleazy's with a band two years ago and that was the last gig I'd done mm-hmm. and I was saying to myself I was just thinking about it I was saying to myself the other day see if I ever get the chance to do that again I'm going to really fucking enjoy that I'm not going to do what I used to do which was turn up for soundcheck have a beer mope about get on stage get off stage and get pushed I'm not going to do that I'm actually going to engage with people that come and see my band I want right. to talk to them right. I'd get sick of it I'd get, do you know what I mean I'd been totally and I suppose that's probably a good reason why you guys space everything out because you're getting uh, maybe, that, uh, that chance to really enjoy it. It's different yeah. if you're booking your own gigs as well yeah. because you need to be there. You need to be there for the other bands and all that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah. I, I really do miss it. Like, and it's only new. But like I said, I don't think I'd get into it if I'd have known you've got no chance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Having a record deal or getting that advance and going and making the albums and all that sort of stuff. Like, and it's just really, I mean, even... Even bands that you would think are really successful, like I mean, watching mind the band, the Bad Brains, the, the punk band. Mm-hmm. Um, watching the documentary about them recently, and they're like, they're in the kind of Mount Rushmore aye, of punk aye, bands. Aye, definitely. Mm. And like at the end of the documentary, you know, obviously the guy <laughs> HR's going through, he's he's got mental issues and all the rest of it. But uh, the guitarist, and this would be a guitarist that thousands and thousands of people yeah. idolise. And he's going back to his job at like an organic farm shop, and it's just hard to imagine such an influential band that have changed so many lives and influenced so many other bands that you know there's a guy who just has to go back to his day job at the end. That's crazy. I think, but I think if you can accept that, you know, maybe it just isn't that lucrative. You can enjoy it that much more. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. I know that, 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 it's no, I, and I get you're, you're meaning you're no talking down about the guy. The, the guy's a fucking great artist. Do you think we undervalue it? I think we undervalue art just as like uh, as in, society, general, uh, in general. Wow, I would say so. I, I mean, just the way that it's set up now, um, it's, I don't know, it maybe oversaturated, maybe is the way people access music uh, that it's so easy just to. Just to bump and just you know download it, mm-hmm. you know for nothing. Um, but I don't know. I don't think about that all that I much. That, I don't think about that either. I I don't know, man. I think the the focus has maybe shifted. People is it's, it's great to talk to 
artists and musicians about their creative process and stuff like that as we've been doing but like that's not really what for me anyway what society values anymore because we live in a you know world of love islands and all that other shit and it's it's not about becoming a star because you have a creative talent yeah. it's about becoming famous because uh-huh. you have a profile and you know the end result of it, i seen the other day was that was Patterson Lassie who has been everywhere and every show and you know all these other reality stuff and she's on the telly bumping fucking refrigerators. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, is, that, is, is this the end product of like, I think, I think your right. current desire for fame? Like, you yeah. don't have to have skill, yeah. you don't have to have talent, you yeah. just need to be willing it's, to hold yourself for uh, Fame at any cost kind of thing. Aye. It's just fame for fame, yeah. for, for nothing else. And if that's, I mean, if that's what you're after, fair play, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, but I think, you prepared to hawk some refrigerators? Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> I think we're like music as well, I mean, you're just looking at that there and you just you see Apple Music and you see Spotify, things that you need to be involved with. You know, so if you're releasing an album and if you're known Apple Music, if you're known Spotify, nobody's going to hear it. Yeah. No one's going to hear it. Absolutely no one's going to hear it. And you give people those two options there. Well, go and buy the album for eight quid, of which we'll get seven or six fifty or whatever it is mm-hmm. after everybody takes their cuts. I'll go and listen to Spotify for free. Yeah. And download it if you've got Spotify Premium, so you can play it anywhere, Wi-Fi or no Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. But go to Spotify, yeah, because you don't want to spend eight quid, of which we get zero point zero 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 one. Yeah, and you know what I mean? yeah. So, like art itself, I mean, we've poured everything into that, mm-hmm. everything into that, and time and effort and money and your entire soul goes into your music when you write it. And to see those two options there, and it will be Spotify guaranteed. You mm. know what I mean? And that's fine. If you accept it that way, sometimes it sticks in your throat a wee bit, but yeah. you just have to kind of say, well, that's how things are now, and mm-hmm. it's no point in getting upset about it. somebody talking about it once, it sort of, sort of made a wee bit of sense, but at the same time, you kind of grumble about these things, but he was talking about, like, if you were to do an apprenticeship, you'd be four years, you know, making nothing, and then you'd be on, like, a good wage, you, know, you think the amount of time and effort you put into, you know, music early years... It's far yeah. beyond an apprenticeship, you know. Oh, I know. Uh, and you might never make a penny. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I remember somebody telling me a story about a band, oh, no name them, but I'm pretty sure you'll know who I'm talking about. They're a three piece, and the guy that's the songwriter and the singer, he's a multi millionaire, right. and the other two are Stein and Deniston and, <laughs> and like private lets. Right, right. So they're, they're in a huge band, mammoth, do you know what I mean? Like playing in Wembley and shit. Mm-hmm. Right. And they can't afford to stay out in LA the day the mixing of their album because mm. they don't have the money to pay for a hotel and they're having right. to come back and again I, I just think that's crazy. I uh, think that's absolutely insane. I mean, maybe it's like you're saying you, because it's so easily accessed just by proxy that the value goes down in people's minds. Mm-hmm. There's just, still a lot of money in it though. I think like the Roger Waters thing that he spoke about when Spotify first started doing the subscription services when mm. it, because it was free for like a year or whatever and then he was saying that what they've managed to do is is stop artists engaging with their, their crowd and put the crowd in touch with advertisers. So they've uh, removed the artist uh-huh. and just put Volkswagen and Mercedes <laughs> and now yeah. that's they've extracted the value and now it goes to Spotify's board of directors or whatever yeah, yeah. and the artist gets fuck all. Like yeah. for every play that you get like a quarter of a penny or something like that, it's something no, something insane. I don't even think it's as much as that. I I, I mean I, we've I don't know how many We've had the first album was on the first album was it was six years ago, so that's been on since mm-hmm. two thousand whatever thirteen. Yep. Whenever we launched it, um, and I, I remember 
once you're in kind of the, you've got like a thing called Spotify, uh, Spotify for artists, which is the other side of things. You go into yeah. your own account, you see yeah. how many plays you've had in the last seven days or 28 days or seven years. Um, and I think we've made, don't quote me exactly, but it's about eight quid. Wow. Or 18 quid, something like that, in six years. It's just as well you're doing it for all of it then. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's the way. I mean, see, like Sean says, if you don't take it seriously, there's no point in saying, I can't believe we made eight quid. The, the other side of the coin is you say, well, thousands of people have listened to the music. Mm-hmm. And that would yep. have never been possible if it wasn't for that platform. Mm-hmm. So you just have to say, oh, that's the way it I is. I think the way the industry's changed, and, and I think we're moving to a place where it's changing again when you look at how like artists are now utilizing things like SoundCloud and all these other sort of platforms. It's yeah. It's almost like the internet like demonetized the music industry because people were no longer buying CDs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I think we're getting to a point where they're now starting to successfully remonetize it again with monthly subscriptions, but again, no to the benefit of the artists. Aye. aye. And like, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, like, oh fuck, I did it again. So like they're remonetizing. Aye, like they're remonetizing, but then. As I say, it's going to change again in the future as people start to make yourself like SoundCloud and stuff right. like that. Like, I think for artists, like the way you like re-monetize what you do is to stand out live, is to actually like oh, yeah. use these platforms to give people a taste of what they can experience when mm-hmm. they, they come and see you. Because yeah. I think when you look at even average artists, and with all due respect, and I'll again no point to like pointing fingers and naming folk, but like you know, one half decent album, and then you're playing the hydro, and like, you're kind of like. That's, you know, artists have been forced into these big, massive corporate venues because that's the only, to me anyway, it looks like that's the only way they can actually make money for them aye, aye. off the back of their work. You know People what I mean? say that it's the, the only way to make money, especially through tour now, is merch, is, is your own control of where we've made these t-shirts. Right. And we know how much they cost to make and we know how much we cost, um, mm-hmm. we'll sell them for, sorry, mm-hmm. and we know what the difference is. Whereas with that, it's like you pay a third party to go online, mm-hmm. uh, they take a management fee, which is fine because otherwise, how do you do it? Yeah. Well, you're in a label where we're not on a label, so we have to give it in the hands of someone else to get it onto these platforms. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, but what I what I find sad about like the consumption of modern music now is is the artwork suffers. Mm-hmm. Because everything is on your phone and, and it looks it looks shite on your phone. Yeah. I mean you don't see any depth in it. And we spent spent a fair bit of money speaking to uh, a Northern Irish artist called uh, Peter Strain, who's you look up his stuff, it's it's really, really incredible. Right. It's just a, such a a unique um, artist in terms of what he does. Really, really interesting guy. Um, Peter, Peter Strain. Can so, I start it off doing like reimagined movie posters? Right. Yeah, but uh, he was commissioned, he's done the new notes in Northern Ireland, I think, the oh, new nice five point notes and stuff. I mean, he's just such a, an interesting illustrator. Oh, stuff's brilliant. Man. Yeah, that's yeah. quite cool. So we kind of contacted Peter and had a kind of dialogue with him and you're kind of just doing that We'll, we'll try and we'll see how it goes because we had no mm-hmm. idea what, what the album artwork would look like mm-hmm. we had no idea what we were going to do and I just I had bought a few of his uh, paintings and stuff over the years and I'm kind of a big fan of his work and we contacted him and he's really really sound mm-hmm. um, but you need to go through my um, representatives in of London course. and stuff like that and the guys come back and it was just the money they were talking about was just there's no way so mm-hmm. I politely emailed him directly and I said Peter they've got back to us and it's just it's, it's not possible so thanks very much for getting involved and he said no let's make it work and you know we'll come back and forth and we'll do this mm-hmm. and we'll do that and it was great it was such a collaborative experience you but just that, want to get his boss booted now half his agent well, so basically the problem I have with like modern music and Spotify and stuff is you don't see that 
Right. And I know vinyl's making a comeback and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It costs quite a lot to get vinyl printed, yeah. plus the quality for the length of the album, we'd have to, it'd, be a, it'd be a double album. Mm. Um, so that's that's what kind of irked me about kind of modern consumption of music is like you look at it on the screen there and it's fine and stuff on your phone, but how good would it be? To, that's why we get CDs made. And CDs could potentially be regarded as redundant now because mm. you buy a new car and you can't, there's no CD player. Yeah. yeah. So, but we, we had to get something physical printed right. because we were so happy with the artwork. I think that's a, it's going to be quite a frustrating element it because you, what you're talking about there is having to take on when you discuss merch and you discuss yeah. artwork and all these various things that these are probably like areas that you would not having picked up a guitar at 15 had any like understanding no. or like concept for and to then go right well we're taking ourselves seriously we're putting ourselves out there what is our artwork what is our right. social media presence what is you know, all these other things. Again, it's but a fun... But to then go unappreciated is well, probably, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, a, it's a fun new element as well to mm. play with, though. Like, you always kind of dream about having your own T-shirts and whatnot. And it's, it's kind of forming that image that you want to put out of yourself, when mm -hmm. you're, how you want people to see you. Yeah. And uh, just that, the, the vibe that you want to put out. And it's, it's something that we enjoy. I think you know, great artwork like is that. something that in the past has definitely helped me artists. I mean, I, I had... I loved Gomez back yeah. in the day, mm, um, right. and like their first couple albums had amazing, like kind of almost abstract, mm -hmm. like block artwork, and I had like bust up size posters in like rooms and stuff like that. And it, mm -hmm. You know, there are it was something that used to be utilised a lot more, yeah, in people's promotion of their work. Like when I'm looking through your stuff, and I think we can try to touch on Ella but then she'll just remember what he was talking about. But it Sorry. feels like um, <laughs> there, there is a bit of a nautical feel, and I've noticed when I was looking up, there seems to be a lot of like. Uh, you make use of like black, black, white, and red. Is there like a theme thing going on there? Is it maybe it's just a subconscious thing for being you know close to the water all our lives? But uh... and you're literally sitting with an anchor on your shirt. The news that that's unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> that's unrelated. <laughs> Corinthians badge. But um, I maybe it's just a subconscious thing. Um, but with with the album, it just stuck out to Peter. I think you know there was a, a track called Sunken Ships on it. So mm -hmm. that was. And it's a striking, it's always a, an image in your head, something mm -hmm. like that. Sinking ship is quite an iconic thing. But um, yeah, that that was the main reason behind, one of the reasons. That there's actually, he was really good when he was talking to us and preparing for it. That there's, if you look at the album, there's a wee sort of Easter egg at the front where every single, pretty much every single song on the album is represented in some little image right. on the front. Right. And that's the kind of detail we put into it. So, and the ship itself was just probably the most uh, striking image, striking image he, that he could go for. Like but the sunken ship in the Irish Round Tower, underneath it, they've all got a wee meaning, and they'll relate to a different song. Mm -hmm. It's cool artwork, man. Seriously cool. I, could, I mean, the first thing I did when you handed me the CD was just straight away, like, I want to read the book Aye, that's yeah. in the book. Because I'm just part of that generation that you guys are part of as well. Where it, that was the first thing you did. Yeah. And one of the first things that I used to do as well was who wrote these songs. Mm -hmm. So I would always go to the back and be like, who's Aye. writing the songs? Aye. Who's the producer? Yeah. I want to know this, I want to know this. Yeah. I, like, it, it was almost like an experience. And it was even diluted when we were young. I mean, you hear guys talk about in the 70s, they used to get paid they would go down they'd buy the album whatever uh -huh. that album would be that week they would listen to it all week and then they would do the same on the friday i think that part of why i don't know you might disagree but i think that they, they priced people out of music at a point in the, the sort of 
the oversaturation. I mean, if you think about that time in like two thousand and one, where it was like Limp Biscuit, Corn, like all the bands was millions of them all kicking mm. about, and they had an album coming out here, there. Yeah, how yeah. are you going to buy all that? How are you going to buy all <laughs> yeah. that music? So aye, 15, there was like 16, oversaturation, and then I album started to reach that sort of sixteen ninety nine, and people were like, "This is unaffordable." Aye, kind of deal. So I can understand why people like me went to Napster because I was an Napster. Yeah, oh, I was aye, an Napster wing. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I was sitting. I had like every Jimi Hendrix track, every. Mm. And when Metallica yep. came back, it was like fucking straight on download everything <laughs> that they've fucking ever done. Lars Ulrich having a breakdown. But he's got, that you've, got, you've got a lot to answer for when it comes to, I think, this model, because this was a sort of, maybe no Metallica, but just Napster in that sort of time period in general, because that this was literally the music industry just trying to claw back mm-hmm. how do we make money? Because there was a Aye. period of time where they weren't signing anybody, Aye. there was Aye. no new music. Like very little new music coming mm. out. Yeah. It, it was all just the sort of Coldplay, Snow Patrol, Kings of Leon yeah. on that big rotation. Yeah, and I think they, they had to do something, but I think that if they were to do something productive, it would be emailed back to the, the artists, sort of making you all that fucking money. Do you know I don't know if you've like? seen this, I think about I think this week, and it was Katy Perry's latest single. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen that in the, in the news. Somebody took it to court, didn't they? Oh no, that's a different thing. I, she's copied, I don't know, some song sounds like oh, a different song, one. But basically the... It's interesting to read actually because it, they break down how much is left at the end of the pot mm-hmm. after Katy Perry's been paid and like it's how much it made as a single worldwide yeah. in terms of people downloads and all the rest of it and then it's how much is left at the end of it and it's just collaborators and artists mm-hmm. and mixing and distribution and yeah. worldwide distribution and it's like there's not a lot of money left at the end of it right. compared to the top line what it actually is worth until what it was left at the end and yeah. there's still probably I think the thing is there was still a few people struggling to get paid from it mm-hmm. smaller time people maybe the guy that opened the studio in the morning Yeah, you know what I mean these kind of wee things that you don't really think about but it was interesting to see the top line what it made and she's one of the biggest recording artists in the world Absolutely. obviously and then the bottom line there's still a few people saying well I'm, I'm due $45 for opening the door that mm-hmm. morning and there's still people struggling to get paid so it's interesting sort of that level Yeah, and then you're talking about her level that level and there's still People Still, not getting paid right? at the bottom. Know, and it's kind of crazy. I'm back in the day, it would have been your label, your management, and then you would have got whatever. Do you know, know what I mean? But, yeah. And people used to moan about 20%. Like, fuck, I'm not getting 20% to this guy and yeah, get yeah. out 15 or whatever. Now it's just fucking, aye, like you're saying, I think. Oh, but, a there's a theme of the podcast it's that you don't get paid for your art. <laughs> Wild West. Have you ever considered doing, like, becoming working musicians to try and make some cash? Like, when we were, remember we back in the darkness and they were doing ACDC covered gigs and the uh, Barflies and then they would uh, do darkness gigs and King Touch but they would be playing for three hours at like that night and, and Barfly and, I don't yeah. think I'd have the stamina for that as a drummer <laughs> see where you look at these like, they work hard as fuck yeah. I mean like we've, we've played very few gigs where we've played over an hour and a half and they've been grueling you know, maybe it's because you're playing your own music and putting everything into it but mm. it's, it's hard going playing you know, some of these bands are playing you know Three four hours a night. So I heard Springsteen day like fucking two hundred fifty nights a year. I've watching a documentary about Russian Neil Peart started his preparation a year before, and it started when going to the gym. Aye, aye. So, do you know what I mean? Guys, <laughs> <laughs> guys, seventies. Do you know what I mean? Aye, true. I think he pretty. I think he in his 
40s or his 50s, he went and completely relearned how to play the drums uh-huh. because he was like, my wrists, my elbows, my shoulders, aye. everything hurts. Aye. And he went to this jazz guy who was just like, your plane rang. Aye. Aye. Is, yeah, yeah. Like, you need to hit less, but you need to get the same amount of power. So yeah. I'll teach you how to, and it was about like... Technique. Yeah, technique. Aye, mm-hmm. getting an actual technique so that he didn't ruin his body, which I think is probably, I mean, Joey Jordanson's a prime example of that. Aye. That guy's... That guy can't even play drums anywhere, right? Like aye. he's he's done. Plays guitar because he's just aye. went out and hammered drums for like ten years. <laughs> and was just like, well, I'm fucking finished here. Aye, but aye. you're right, it, it's grueling and it's hard work. And probably when you go, well, unless you're doing weddings, I think like that's a popular one. I've got yep. a lot of mates that have been in bands and yep. now they've thrown the towel and it's like, well, I'm in a wedding band and. Hmm. Make decent money, but I think their souls are getting slowly. <laughs> you always hear that. You always hear that for people that that you know commercially play those gigs. That it takes, it sucks the fun out a wee bit. Uh, for me, it would just be too too good on to be honest with you. Uh, I'd rather just yeah, a ninety five and just get it out of the way. Uh, so what's next then? Like what's what's on the horizon for these? This year's just been about getting the album out, to be honest with you, and just seeing what people think. It's been such a long build-up, you know what I mean? The last mm-hmm. album was six years ago. We had this pretty much finished two years ago, pretty much like it was recorded two yeah. years ago, and it's just been a wee bit kind of delayed here and that for one reason or another. So this year was all about the release, and obviously it was the end of April, there, so a couple of months in. It's just been about getting the music out, and getting it kind of in people's ears, basically. So the reaction's been really nice. Um, we've had more plays I suppose we, you, the thing is that you complain about Spotify and stuff like that yeah. but the truth is that we've had more plays of one song uh, the song that we just made the video for Bruno mm-hmm. Bale, um than any other one of our songs Right. and some of those songs have been on for six years yeah. so that's quite an amazing statistic for yeah. me you could say that well, Spotify has become more popular mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It still has been popular for a while do you know what I mean still yeah. been popular for years and years so that kind of thing is more people are hearing our music for the first time, which is a bonus. That's the end game. Yes, yeah. you want people to hear your music, make up their own mind if they enjoy it or not. But the reaction's been so positive that it kind of just makes you want to write more music. We've not written in a couple of years now because of this. Yeah. But it makes me want to kind of keep going and, and write more. That's and, good, man. Aye, so that's, we recorded, no recorded, we, we filmed a video for Bruno Vale in the last month, which was released two weeks ago, which is, uh, it's been getting good numbers and, a lot of good reaction as well so mm-hmm. that was it's like another art form that it's a shoot off from obviously mm-hmm. yeah some you might not have readily been expecting to do Aye, back in the day but you need right. to know it's Aye. became one of the things that I most enjoy as well with being in a band because it just it gets that other sort of wee creative yeah. element that maybe you didn't know you had and it's a, it's a nice platform because a lot of people are consuming music even just on their phone on YouTube yeah mm-hmm. you know so I think it's the number one music yeah, streaming that's, platform that's in the right. world YouTube now so you need to kind of have it if you don't if you know what I mean but yeah. we try and put as much effort in um, and hopefully that comes across I think everything with me is fair enough we, we don't play every month or we don't even play every two months or we don't release something every couple of months but when we do I want it to be good quality Yeah. I want the posters to be striking mm-hmm. I want you know people to be excited about the venue I want people to be excited about the support bands if you've got a, a music video I want the teasers to look good I want the release date to be everyone tuning in. Yep. So it's became like a focus for me and like quality over quantity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's that's the thing for for us. So that's just came out definitely shows. Uh, that's that's just came out two weeks ago. So it's been really good. So I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, we decided to break it up into there's a bit of dialogue in the middle. Mm-hmm, of it. Right. So we get Rabba Fleck back. He's in all our videos, um, and a friend of mine, Cal Walker, who's 
uh, studying acting in, in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And it was a really good, really good experience between the two of them. The bit of dialogues just kind of makes it for me. Right, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a nice wee bit. And as those gigs coming up that we can catch you up? Uh, we're playing in Edinburgh next month. Um, we'll be organising a few gigs towards the end of the year. Probably we'll have a kind of big Glasgow gig, um, maybe November, December, I think. So now we'll start to organise that, I think. We don't want to oversaturate. Of course. Then, you know, so we had the big launch that was sold out at Audio mm-hmm. for the album. And that's... I mean, for me, it's, that's been the most enjoyable gig. Right. Um, it was sold out as our album launch. Obviously, there's a bit of pressure and stuff, mm-hmm. but we get we get lighting for the first time, which is something we just never do because okay. it's one of those things that elevates the live show to the next right. level. So we get Rob from a company called Dark Door Lighting. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. Just it's like holy shit, a professional looking band type thing. I think it came across as well as a lot of people said they really enjoyed that. So. Just enjoy yeah. and avoid the red lights. That's, that's always my one for watching the club gigs early years. Red, red light lights. Red, red light lights just light screen death. support act to me. So they like, <laughs> don't ever see any headliners playing under it's red cool, lights. Really you know what I mean? Like, like what you said, like the, there is, whether consciously or subconsciously, a nautical sort of theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got big sort of kind of circular, almost like kind of porthole style. Right. style uh, and there's four of those big, and they kind of look kind of like what of the world kind of alien kind of uh, stuff. Aye. But... It had a kind of nautical feel about it as well. Nice. It was, uh, I kind of added a different element. So, aye, that's what we've been up to. And obviously, we'll get a couple of gigs at the end of the year, but we'll probably do another video, I'd say, as well. Aye, there's certainly a lot of material to draw for us. So, definitely. Why not? A lot of good material as well, man. Keep an eye on it. Say to anybody to go and like gear the album or listen, even though you're going to get a fraction of a penny for the stream, but buy a CD. Get it off iTunes. Buy a CD. Buy a CD or like buy it on iTunes as well. I think you get mail for that, I'd imagine. The we do, yeah. But no, the album's great. I, I, I don't just, even, I mean, I think I've had, this is the third band that we've had on the podcast and even with Tom McGuire, I was saying to him, like, I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast. Like, I really enjoyed the album and it's on uh, like my playlist and stuff. So thanks awesome. for coming on, guys. That's us, like, sort of time up. And, I appreciate it. Um, I, we'll, we'll share everything. Do you want to just tell people where they can find you? Like, and I mean, we're on sort of everything. <clears throat> so it's facebook.com uh, slash Cullen Band. Uh, it's just at Cullen on Twitter and Cullen Band on Instagram as well. So you'll find us. We've not got a website yet. <laughs> you don't need it now, <laughs> don't do you? Need it now, I don't know. So, like, it's just all the kind of social media ones. Bandcamp. Yeah. And the music's available just in all the kind of what in SoundCloud, Apple Music, Spotify, mm. Bandcamp. T shirts and stuff on Bandcamp. Is that. We've no t shirts left. We sold it the last kind of design, which was the kind of ship. Um, right. well, that's good. We'll be getting. I, the kind of, again, like, it's just it's the artwork. You just, it's mm-hmm. important to us. And they've always kind of went down well. So, no t shirts now, but we'll be getting them. Get them back in. Well, cheers for coming on, guys. Been a good conversation. I really enjoyed that. And best of luck, man. We'll share everything on with the the episode and all that, all the links and everything. Cheers. Thanks again.
lightning falls when there is panic in the sky Thunder calls when all but fear is lived to die You tell it like it's fantasy Something that you're never going to be Same old story every day There's just one thing that I have to say That if we believe, if we trust in you Then I don't know why you say the things you do You'd see Empty halls now filled with echoes of their past On our stalls they lived each day like it's their last You tell it like it's fantasy Something that you're never going to be Same old story every day There's just one thing that I have to say That if we believe, if we trust in you Then I don't know why you say the things you do Answers are not those lies to me I can tell that you're on a mission Just to break the walls down Time and time again If it wasn't true Would it be okay to break the walls down time and time again? That if we believe, if we trust in you then I don't know why you say the things you do You'd see a whole new way to be Giving honest answers and not those lies to me Believe if we trust in you Then I don't know why you say the things you do You'd see a whole new way to be Answers are not those lies to me